On today's episode, the Hall of Fame broadcaster Pat Foley got to call one final victory before riding off in the sunset as the Blackhawks defeated the San Jose Sharks 5-4 in a shootout on Thursday night. And then, in their 4-3 loss to the Nashville Predators on Saturday, the Blackhawks earned the first year of top prospect Lucas Reichel's entry-level contract. I'll go over whether or not this was the right decision by the organization. And then to wrap things up, I'll also get into the NHLPA publicly releasing the findings on the handling of Kyle Beach's allegations back in 2010 and 2011. All that and plenty more right here on Locked On Blackhawks. Your Locked On Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Blackhawks podcast, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Today is Monday, April 18th. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you could also go and check out my Strictly Blackhawks account at Talkin' Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And if you're listening to the audio version of today's episode and you like what you're hearing, then please be sure to go and show some support first by following the podcast. It'll only take a quick couple of seconds, literally a quick quick click of the button will help me out tremendously. Also, be sure to go and leave the show five stars if you like what you're hearing today as well. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, then feel free to leave me a review as well. I greatly appreciate hearing all the feedback from my tremendous listeners out there. And best of all, it's 100% for free wherever you may be listening to your podcast, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. It's all 100% for free. And if you go and follow the show right now, then you'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And if you're not already watching the video version of today's episode, then definitely be sure to go and check out Lockdown Blackhawks on YouTube because each and every episode from here on out, folks, if you somehow haven't gotten the memo yet, is going to have a video version attached to it as well. So if you haven't done so already, please, 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 Go and subscribe to Lockdown Blackhawks on YouTube. I just got over the 100 subscriber hump. I'm really trying to keep boosting those numbers up as we're heading into the offseason. There's going to be a lot of fun and cool segments breaking down the direction of the Chicago Blackhawks and what I think, what kind of moves I think they should be making. So be sure uh, to go and check that out on, on YouTube if you haven't done so yet. Go and subscribe, please. Go and smash the like button for me as well. And also be sure to turn on those push notifications so you can be notified when the episode gets uploaded to YouTube each and every day. All right, enough of that. Thank you all, as always, for tuning into another episode of Lockdown Blackhawks, your one-stop shop for all things Chicago Blackhawks. We are back here on the show. It's kind of a wild weekend first. Hope everyone had a great holiday weekend, uh, Easter and Passover, obviously. Uh, over the weekend. I hope everyone got to spend some quality time with family. And despite not having great weather here in the Chicagoland area, I hope everyone was able to enjoy themselves. As I'm recording this right now, I'm looking out my window and there is still snow on the ground. And we're uh, getting to the last couple weeks of April here. So yeah, the fourth winter season is among us. Hopefully, hopefully 
warmer weather and better days are coming here soon. And I actually saw it's supposed to get up into the 80s, I believe, or at least the high 70s this upcoming weekend. So better days are coming, folks. But despite the cold weather, I hope you all enjoyed your holiday weekend. Uh, I wasn't able, as some of you may already know, I wasn't able to get an episode out on Friday. I had no internet connection, which I found out was not because of the wind. It was because I'm having a ton of construction going on in my backyard right now. I'm having a new deck being built. They're tearing down the old one. They got to dig up a bunch of grass. Uh, They're cutting down trees in my backyard. So not only has it been loud, but they've been interfering with all my connection and stuff. Saturday, I finally got internet back, but I wanted to let everyone, I figured not many people are going to be listening to a podcast about this horrendous Chicago Blackhawks team when uh, they should be celebrating the holidays over the weekend. So just waited until today to get the episode out, but thank you all for being patient. Got plenty of talk about on the show today though, folks, because we've seen a couple of Blackhawks games happen. Obviously, Pat Foley had his final call in the broadcast booth. There's the Lucas Reichel situation. And then there's the NHLPA and Cousin O'Connor, the the uh review that they did on the handling of Kyle Beach's allegations back in 2010 and 2011 were released on Friday afternoon and kind of typical NHL scumbag uh fashion. I'll get into all of that. Uh, coming up in just a minute here on the show. But what I wanted to start out with today, folks, is that game on Thursday night at the United Center between the Chicago Blackhawks and the San Jose Sharks, where it was the legend, the Hall of Fame broadcaster, Pat Foley's final call up in the broadcast booth. And in the episode that I released on Thursday morning, I kind of talked about how I felt like I was stuck in in between a rock and a hard place because I had tickets to that game on Thursday night. and That meant I wasn't going to be able to hear Pat Foley's last call on the air. My last call hearing Pat came on Tuesday. So I I kind of felt, you know, I didn't feel right going to the game and missing out on Pat's call. But honestly, it was one of the best atmospheres, maybe the best atmosphere I've seen at the United Center all season long. And I've been there for um, Jonathan Taves' celebration. I was there when Duncan Keith returned to the UC. I was there for Patrick Kane's 1,000th game ceremony way earlier on in the year. And the reception from the fans that Pat Foley got, I mean, it was actually unbelievable. The UC was rocking. It felt like the United Center of old times. I mean, it was darn near a full house there, and everyone everyone was on their feet, you know, during the pre-game ceremony where Pat was out on the ice and he got to share a couple of special words. It was really awesome to see his mother was there and he really gave her all the credit for what he's been able to do and stuff. Like it, it was just a really touching moment and not to mention per usual by the Blackhawks, they always do such a fantastic job putting together video ceremonies and tributes and whatnot. It was awesome. The, the video was talking about kind of how Pat Foley rose through the ranks to get the job as Blackhawks broadcaster and then held on to it for 39 years, a couple year hiccup there in between, but fortunately Rocky Wirtz brought him back and he got to uh, be the voice behind the golden era, the dynasty era of the Chicago Blackhawks. And it truly wouldn't have been as special had it not been for Pat Foley doing such a phenomenal job calling all those games and taking us through uh, the, the rides of the season. I mean, he was just, Un- phenomenal at his job. I don't have to say all that much because most of you listeners out there, I'm sure already feel that way about Pat yourselves. Um, but yeah, it, it was just all in all really well done. There was a super cool banner that was hung up under 
uh, the press box that was congratulating Pat Foley for his 39 years. Uh, and then after all of that, I mean, the black, uh, with those ceremonies, the fans at the United Center were definitely feeling it heading into the game. And for Patrick Kane to come out and score a goal just over a minute in and then kind of point up to the press box where Pat was, I mean, it was really special and uh, definitely had the fans on their feet right there from the get-go. They wanted to get this win for Pat. The team, you know, <laughs> per usual by the Blackhawks, it, it was a, a back-and-forth game. No lead that they had was safe. They blew leads of one to nothing, two to nothing, four to two, and four to three. San Jose tied up the game with uh, just over three minutes left in regulation to send this one into overtime. It wound up going to a shootout after a pretty crazy three-on-three period. Kevin Lankinen made some really big stops, and I thought, um, even though regulation, he didn't really look all that good. He was kind of uh, like flopping around like a fish in net and really struggles to be in position consistently. That, that's, I think, the biggest knock on watching him this year is he just loses his net far too often. But in that three-on-three overtime period, he made a couple of really big stops. The Blackhawks also had their opportunities to win it on the other end. James Reimer made some big stops as well. This game wound up, <clears throat> excuse me, wound up going to a shootout. And Kevin Lankinen, Stonewall Kevin Lankinen stopped all three shots. Uh, Alex DeBrinkett wounds up netting the game-winning goal, and the Blackhawks pick up a big win, their only win still in the month of April, 5-4 to four in the shootout over the San Jose Sharks. It was a touching win, and you could tell that the team had some extra pep in their step throughout the way. It also helped that Derek King did finally reunite the top line of Alex DeBrinkett, Dylan Strome, and Patrick Kane. Both Kaner and DeBrinkett had three-point games to lead the way. DeBrinkett, obviously, as I just said, netted the game winner in overtime as well. And the Blackhawks get a win for Pat Foley. It was such a feel-good win. And to watch him, you know, toast a beer with Eddie Olchek up in the press box to all the Blackhawks fans after he was named the number one star of the game. And, you know, just the words that he went out with, um, it's something I'll never forget. And I I know I was saying how um, I was kind of having trouble accepting that I wasn't going to hear a Pat Foley call and I was going to the game. I cannot tell you how happy I am with my decision that I wound up going to the UC for that one. It was just a spectacular night all in all. Had me and my feelings. I got also an awesome Pat Foley uh, beer glass. I mean, come on. It, it was um, a surreal experience and I'm super glad. Looking back on it now, I don't know why I felt like I was in between a rock and a hard place. I definitely feel like I made the right decision going to the game. Uh, and I, I couldn't be happier that the Blackhawks picked up a 5-4 to four win in the shootout in Pat Foley's final game up in the broadcast booth, sending him out on a high note as he rides off into the sunset. All right, there's my breakdown of the Blackhawks picking up a win for the great Pat Foley in his final game up in the booth. Coming up in just a minute, I am going to talk about the Blackhawks burning the first year of top prospect Lucas Reichel's entry-level contract when he played in their game on Saturday against the Nashville Predators. But first, I need to talk to you all about Athletic Greens and their new AG1 product, which is one scoop of AG1. You're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and more to help you start your day. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, your aging. It helps you with everything. And Athletic Greens was first created when the founder experienced a ton of gut issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine in order to recover. 
That used to cost them $100 per day. But now Athletic Greens was made after knowing how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition routine on your own. AG1 costs you less than $3 per day now. Went from $100 to down to $3 per day. That's why the founder created AG1 to help make this cheap and affordable to the cheapest and the most affordable way to invest in your body and in your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network right now to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, we're back here on the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, getting into segment two now today. I wanted to be sure to talk for a couple of minutes on the Blackhawks' 4-3 to loss to the Nashville Predators on Saturday morning. That was an 11.30 a.m. start. Not sure how many fans out there actually watched that game on the holiday weekend. But more importantly, I wanted to talk about the Blackhawks burning the first year of top prospect Lucas Reichel's entry-level contract as he played in his 10th NHL game of the season on Saturday. First and foremost, I, I think a, a lot of people out there are still kind of confused with why the Blackhawks did this in a year that really obviously that there's nothing left to play for. And considering how you'd you'd think that you'd like to keep Reichel on a cheap of uh, a cheap of a contract as long as possible with the direction they're heading in. At the end of the day, I don't think and this is something I've talked about on the show a lot, so I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but I really just want to clarify my opinion on this matter, which is I don't think it's really going to matter all that much that Reichel played this year, right? And we've heard Kyle Davidson talk about how all he really cares about right now is doing the best thing for Reichel, which I kind of disagreed with. I thought, you know, he probably should have stayed down in the AHL and continued to be getting consistent top line ice time with the Rockford Ice Hogs as they're making a playoff push. And I don't feel that way because of them burning off the first year of his contract. No, I just kind of see how he's fared through these first 10 NHL games. And without a doubt, these last three or four, he's been a whole lot better than he was in the first five or six. I thought he was really timid in those first couple of games through his first two NHL stints wasn't aggressive enough with the puck. He was kind of getting bodied out of position. You could tell that he's just a little bit undersized and isn't necessarily strong enough with the puck on his stick to be able to have success consistently at the NHL level. That was my issue with calling Lucas Reichel back up and having him continue to play on down the stretch. Now, as of late, he certainly has been better, though, and he's had his, I don't know how many chances he's had to net his first NHL goal um, <clears throat> against. But uh, I believe it was Buffalo. Let me look at the Blackhawks schedule real quick. In that game against San Jose, though, we had plenty of opportunities. It was the game against the Kings, not Buffalo. Um, in that uh, Buffalo was a long time ago. Oops. Uh, but that game against the Kings and in the win against San Jose, Reichel had so many opportunities to net his first NHL goal. He just wasn't able to find the back of the net for whatever reason. The puck just wasn't one to go to its home. Um, but finally in this game. On Saturday against Nashville, Reichel did 
pick up his first NHL point, recording a secondary assist on Dominic Kubalik's 13th goal of the season. That actually put the Blackhawks ahead uh, two to one early on in the second period. Unfortunately, they weren't able to keep it up. Their second period struggles continued to plague them. Uh, Nashville wound up tying the game on a beautiful goal from Roman Yossi at four out of four. What a give and go between him and Ryan Johansson. And then the real killer I thought for the Blackhawks was giving up that power play goal to Matt Duchesne in the final 25 seconds of the second period. They had an opportunity to go into the second intermission tied two to two. They take a bad penalty and then it winds up in the back of their net. And from that point on, um, it it was going to be tough for this team to come back against such a desperate team like Nashville. Uh, Patrick Kane kind of willed them to make this one close. He set up Riley Stillman in front for a goal in the third period that cut it to four to three and made things interesting. You at least like to see that the Blackhawks put up a good fight down the stretch. 60 minute effort wasn't there as it's been all season long. It's been the biggest issue for this team, but you know, at least they're making things interesting down the stretch. They did kind of get dominated throughout the first two periods that they were probably lucky to only be down by one goal heading into the second intermission, but ultimately Nashville was just the more desperate team. They were the better team. They came out on top at home in a game they really needed to come out with two points in. So I'm not really going to blame the Blackhawks because, especially late in the game, I thought the effort level was there for the most part. Um, But they just ran into a a hotter and more desperate team. But going back to Reichel, he really made that play happen on um, the Blackhawks' second goal of the game. Beautiful job recognizing what he had in front of him and stopping at the right dot, turning around, and making a beautiful tape-to-tape pass to find Jake McCabe at the left dot, who was wide open, and then McCabe made a beautiful pass himself to give Dominic Kubelik a yawning cage in front. Um, But for Reichel, like I said, with this being his 10th game, the Blackhawks have now burned the first year of his entry-level contract. And it's just, to me, it's not really going to matter when they did this. And for the Blackhawks, I guess you could say, as an organization, Um, By burning the first year of his contract right now, they can get into what is likely going to be a bridge deal once his ELC expires, probably a a two or three year contract. Uh, Obviously, it all depends on how much success he's able to have in the next couple of years. That's going to determine the dollar amount, but it's likely going to be a bridge deal after his entry level contract expires. So to be able to get that, get to that one year sooner, and he'll only be able to have, you know, two years of NHL statistics uh, to kind of argue his case of how much money he should make. He's not going to be arbitration eligible, but in terms of just financial discussions with the Blackhawks, it is going to give the front office an advantage if Reichel is only going to have two years worth of statistics rather than three when, you know, he's got a whole nother year of action under his belt. And as us Blackhawks fans are hoping for, hopefully he's going to be putting up some pretty dominant numbers So it is kind of an advantage for the Blackhawks to be burning the first year right now in order to get to that bridge deal sooner. Uh, But also, that does mean that they are going to be getting to his third contract, assuming he's going to be around for that long. I do feel a little bit more confident about that now that Stan Bowman isn't around and he just was sending out former first-round picks like they were hotcakes. Um, But that also means that the Blackhawks are going to be getting to his third contract a year sooner, and that's the one that's probably going to be pricey. So you can kind of look at this any way you want with the positives or negatives. But at the end of the day, with the Blackhawks heading into a rebuild, it's it's probably really not going to matter all that much. I don't think they're going to be up against the salary cap for these next three to four years going forward, especially next year. I mean, the next two years probably, they're they're really – 
shouldn't be focused on winning all that much. They just want to be building and getting the proper pieces to help them be a Stanley Cup contender once again, three to five years down the road. And it sure would help if we could get that Connor Bedard kid with the number one overall pick in the 2023 NHL draft. I think that's really the only thing the Blackhawks should be thinking about right now. So at the end of the day, I don't think you Blackhawks fans really should be upset or feel any certain type of way about the Hawks burning off the first year of Reichel's contract. Um, you know, it's going to be good for him that he's probably getting NHL action right now. I don't think it really matters all that much because he's going to be going down to rock for any times, uh, probably sometime soon. Uh, so I don't know if it was necessary to do this, but I see why the Blackhawks feel like it could be advantageous to burn off this first year moving forward. They can get into his bridge deal a little bit sooner. It's probably going to save them some money. Although, like I said, I don't really know if that's going to matter too much with the direction the team's heading in. Um, but for a couple of different reasons, I do understand why the Blackhawks went this route. And hopefully on um, these next couple of games that Lucas Reichel is up for, I'm, I'm not so much, not so sure how much longer he's going to be up in the NHL. The Blackhawks only have seven games left in the season. And Rockford is, uh, you know, getting closer and closer to their postseason run. So you got to think Reichel, it could even be after this game tonight against Calgary because the Blackhawks go out west on the road for three consecutive games. Maybe they let him stay behind and uh, rejoin the Ice Hogs late in the season. Um, but either way, I don't think it's going to matter too much in the long run that the Blackhawks burn the first year of Lucas Reichel's entry-level contract this season as he's now officially played in 10 NHL games. All right, there are my thoughts on the handling of Lucas Reichel's contract situation this season. Coming up in just a moment, moment, just a quick trigger warning to all you listeners out there. I am going to be getting into uh, the NHLPA and the Cousin O'Connor releasing the findings of how the NHLPA and more particularly Donald Fair handled the Kyle Beach allegations that came out in 2010 and 2011. So just a quick warning, it's not as vulgar as the Block and Jenner report was earlier on in the season, but I just wanted to be sure to let all you listeners know that a quick warning right now, I am going to be getting into uh, some touchy subjects coming up here in just a moment on the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. But first, I need to talk to you all about Built Bar, which is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. And I know we're in mid-April right now, we're even getting close to May, and it's pretty darn tough to be sticking to your resolution. But if yours was or is about getting fit or even eating healthier, then you got to be sure to include Built Bar in your plan because right now you can get the best of both worlds with Built Bar, delicious and healthy. And have you tried Built Bar Puffs yet? Because if not, then you're seriously missing out on one of the best tasting Built Bars out there on the market. And listen to these incredible flavors you have to choose from. Are you going to go with cinnamon churro or coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie? or cookies and cream. These are real protein bar flavors, folks, all of which are less than 200 calories and have 17 or more grams of protein in each bar. So either way you choose, Built Bar is going to make it easier to stick to your resolution because they taste so good, you're actually going to want to eat them. Unlike some other protein bars out there on the market, which can be dry, chalky, waxy, or even just taste like a chemical spill. And even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is also good for you. That way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. 
And for a limited time offer, go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next Built Bar order. That's BuiltBar.com with the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next Built Bar order. I also need to talk to you all about Bet Online. It's that time of the year again, folks, as baseball season is finally upon us, and Bet Online has way more odds and info from game scores, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired manager is going to land or who is going to be the first fired manager of the season. Either way, whatever you want to bet on, Bet Online remains the number one spot for all sports betting here in 2022. And it's not just baseball. From the NHL and NBA playoffs, boxing and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available here for the 2022 season. Bet Online is both the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and your favorite Vegas casino games. Bet Online, where the game begins. All right, welcome back to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. Getting into segment three now today, once again, just a quick trigger warning. I am going to get into uh, the Cousin O'Connor investigation that was released on Friday afternoon that dug into the NHLPA's handling of the Kyle Beach sexual assault allegations. And let me just start this off by saying the NHL, I know that this is the NHLPA separate kind of from the NHL, but just how they continue to handle these things is beyond disappointing. And it's so sad and so tragic, honestly, because on Friday, first off, this uh, the NHLPA announced that they were going to release these findings early on Friday morning. That was the announcement that they originally made. What happened on Friday morning? Oh, yeah. The NHLPA said they had a power outage and weren't able to publicly release the findings on time. Does that seem sketchy to anyone? Oh, yeah. And then what do they do? On Good Friday, they drop the news. At four o'clock, which for those of you who don't know, that's usually past the deadline time that writers have in order to uh, write up an article or write up a, a piece. That's usually past the journalist's deadline time heading into the weekend. So when bad news gets released, that's usually when it happens. So for the NHLPA to go about releasing this the way that they did, I mean, it just proves that this organization continues to be shady, continues to be sketchy. They're, they're a bunch of snakes, and all they really care about is saving face. They don't care about Kyle Beach. They don't care about any of this stuff. All they care about is the public image of their brand. And it's pathetic, and it's obvious. If you're a follower of this game, you know this isn't the first instance where they do something along these lines that's just shady and isn't right and not morally correct. I I don't know for sure, but god darn, I am 99.9% sure that there was no power outage on Friday morning for them to re- that caused them not to be able to release this news on time. It was actually so disrespectful, I thought, and uh poor Kyle Beach just never gets the the proper 
etiquette or respect that he he deserves from the league after all that he's gone through after how courageous he's been to come out and share the story publicly to put his name on it I mean it's it's disgraceful how the NHLPA has gone about it and I'm not even talking about uh the findings of this investigation by cousin O'Connor because reading through this lawsuit I had a bunch of things that I circled that really didn't make any sense to me and, and were just super sketchy and um left me with a lot of uncertainties about how they actually wanted to solve this right like a, a couple things that that didn't sit right with me first off if you don't know by now uh the investigation that was publicly released the final conclusion that they came to was that they could not identify any individual wrongdoing or institutional failures of policy or procedure by either Don Fair or the NHL personnel. Uh, by the way, Don Fair, the director of the NHLPA, he was the one who was tasked with <clears throat> properly handling the Kyle Beach allegations. And when going through this 20-page report, by the way, for those of you who have not gone out and read this report that the NHLPA released on Friday afternoon, please go and do so so you can have some better knowledge of it yourself. As I mentioned when we were first about to jump into this subject, the report is not as vulgar and difficult to read as the Block and Jenner one was. I mean, that one darn near ripped my heart out, and it was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to read. This is more so just on how they went about. It doesn't really have any tidbits of what Kyle Beach went through or the assault itself. It's just more so going through this investigation that Cousin O'Connor had on the NHLPA and Donald Fair. It is still, you know, not an easy thing to read. I'm not saying that by any stretch. It's still, I want to give a trigger warning to everyone out there just to be safe. But I really think in a situation like this, you shouldn't just take my word for it and what I'm saying. Go read it for yourself and draw your own opinions on what, you know, the conclu on the conclusion that they came to. Because I promise you, a ton of you out there are going to be shaking your head like I am, really not understanding how they didn't identify any individual wrongdoings or institutional failures when basically I thought that's exactly what happened. Like th there were just a lot of questions that I had. So first off, uh, one I wanted to get into, sorry, I have this all on my phone. I want to be sure to properly phrase all of this and not misstate anything in such a serious matter. Um, but so Kyle Beach's former agent, Ross Gurney, uh, told investigators that he called Don Fair in December of 2010 after Brad Aldrich was hired by USA Hockey, um, hoping that Donald Fair would notify USA Hockey about, obviously, Bradley Aldrich's past doings. And uh, Gurney actually recalled describing Aldrich as a sexual predator and a pedophile to Donald Fair, yet Fair swears that he doesn't remember hearing that. There's sketchy thing number one. In a matter this serious, you're the executive director of the NHLPA and you're being talked to by a player's agent about a matter this serious and you're not going to remember someone being called a sexual predator or a pedophile? I don't care that it was 10 or 11 years ago in such a serious matter. I find it kind of phony that Donald Fair, you know, how, how does he not remember that? And also more importantly, why did he not notify 
USA Hockey about this matter. Donald Fair told the investigators during this uh, investigation by uh, Cousin O'Connor, sorry, I couldn't remember the name real quick, but he told investigators that he wouldn't have notified USA Hockey anyway without knowing more of the details about what Aldrich did and whether Kyle Beach had reported it or not. But in that case, why didn't he go out and seek for such details? Why didn't he talk to Kyle Beach? Why did uh, Beach's agent, Ross Gurney, not provide them? And it's kind of interesting that Gurney said he kept in touch with Don Fair regularly, but never followed up about Aldrich. Why would he not do that? Like, and why would he not try to provide these details to Don Fair? Why was Fair not wanting those details? And why was Gurney not properly providing them? A lot of this is just really sketchy. And I don't understand how that they chalk this up to a lack of communication. But to me, it seems like no one wanted to put their foot forward and do the right thing. That's a systematic failure. That's not lack of communication. That's knowing no one wanting to step up and do the right thing and be the one in charge of taking Brad Aldrich out of the game of hockey as he should have been done. No one seemed to want to do that. No one seemed to want to bat Kyle Beach, not even his agent. So, again, pretty shady stuff how I don't understand how it's not uh, the a lack of a system, you know, failing. How did the system not fail Kyle Beach here? It wasn't a lack of communication. It was a lack of leadership and a lack of effort. Also, what else did I have in here circled? Oh, this is this is an interesting one too. Um, so Black Ace's Black Ace One's former agent, who was Joe Resnick, Black Ace One, of course, was an unnamed player that was involved in the Block and Jenner report as well in October, and he did not have his name released publicly, but also dealt with some problems with. Uh, Brad Aldrich when he was the video coach of the Blackhawks as well. Um, but Joe Resnick, apparently investigators found a 14-minute phone call between Resnick and Donald Fair hours after emailing back and forth, yet neither Resnick nor Don Fair recall having that 14-minute phone conversation. They talked for 14 minutes. Well, what about? We don't know for sure. But assuming it came after these emails, you would think it would be about this topic, about Kyle Beach and what's going to happen moving moving forward with the NHLPA and what's going to happen with Brad Aldrich. Yet, neither of them remember having this conversation. How do you not remember it? See, things like this, it just leads you to believe that there is something sketchy going on, folks. I don't really understand. And there was also a part about um, a doctor, uh, Brian Shaw, who was a psychologist. Um, that Kyle Beach saw and spoke to. And apparently Beach gave him, you know, a graphic account of Aldrich's sexual assault. And Beach even asked about whether someone was contacting USA Hockey about Brad Aldrich. But Shaw, I understand where he's coming from in this one, saying, you know, he considered his conversation with Beach, you know, a privileged conversation between a patient and therapist, and therefore it remained confidential, so he didn't notify USA Hockey. But clearly with the things that Kyle Beach was asking, he asked if someone was going to do anything about USA Hockey and Aldrich being a video coach for them. Why didn't Brian Shaw, the psychologist, offer help to Kyle Beach and 
ask him if whether or not Beach wanted him to be the one to contact USA Hockey. Like, there are just so many sketchy parts about this where no one wanted to take the lead and be the one to bury Brad Aldrich and help this poor kid out. No one wanted to help him out. That's an institutional failure. I don't get how they came to the result that they did. It's just, there are just so many questions that I still have. And this report really provided us with no answers. It just kind of came out and said that they found no wrongdoing by the NHL. Like, no one went out of their way, or no, they don't have proof that anyone didn't want to help Kyle Beach. But based on the details that they found out, the conversations that were had, this many people knowing and no one really stepping up and doing the right thing here, it's pretty disgraceful. And I, I, poor Kyle Beach, like no one's good. No one's helping him. No one helped him in 2010. No one helped him back then. And still no one's helping him today. And again, all that it really seems like is that the NHL care, the NHL and the NHLPA care about saving face. And I thought this was a really good Ben Pope of the Chicago Sun-Times, one of probably my favorite Blackhawks beat writer and one of the best beat writers out there, as he put it in his article, um, to ensure that like, you know, another situation or a similar breakdown like this doesn't happen again, to ensure something like this never happens again. The NHLPA didn't didn't show anything that would make make people feel confident that they're going to handle this matter properly the next time it happens. Hopefully there won't be a next time, but if there is, I don't think anyone feels confident that the NHL is going to A, solve the problem, B, help out, and C, be honest about it. Because there's just so much shadiness around this department and around this league. Don Fair clearly didn't do his job here. He did a whole lot of nothing, yet they found no wrongdoing. That does not sit well with me, and I know there are a lot of people out there that would agree with me on that. It's just disgraceful. It's sad. The way they went about releasing this, the conclusion that they came to, I think it's all wrong. No one wanted to help out Kyle Beach, and that's an institutional failure. And something like this happens again, I don't think anyone has confidence that the NHL is going to handle it properly or effectively or in the best way possible for the victim, who it should be all about should be about helping Kyle Beach. No one wanted to help Kyle Beach, and it actually breaks my heart that this poor guy got no help along the way, and still no one seems like they want to help him. It's just sad. Um, and this lawsuit, poor Kyle Beach, this lawsuit has not been handled well. The NHLPA, the NHL, just continue to let people down. They only care about their brand. Don't let it fool you. They don't care. And it's sad to see. And um, I just don't get how they came to the conclusion that they did here in this instance. I have so many questions. There are so many people who could have done better and gone out of their way to do the right thing, and it wouldn't have been that hard. Clearly, there were conversations going, going on here. Like, how is this not a failure of the procedure, uh, an institutional letdown. I don't understand it at all. 
but I, I think you all should read it for yourselves. Uh, the NHLPA released it, as I said, on Friday afternoon. Terrible timing, not surprising from them. Um, but I recommend, again, trigger warning, but I recommend you all go read it for yourselves and you come to your own conclusion. But I feel like a lot of you will be feeling the way I do right now when you read about how Kyle Beach was let down once again by the NHL and the NHLPA. All right, folks, I think that is going to wrap up Monday, April 18th's episode of Lockdown Blackhawks. Thank you again for tuning into the show, and be sure to go and follow the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast for free right now on your favorite podcast app, and you can get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And after the show, be sure to go and check out the Lockdown Fantasy Hockey podcast as host Steel Roden and Flip Livingstone help you become the expert of your fantasy league. It's free and available on all platforms, so be sure to check out Lockdown Fantasy Hockey right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, thank you for tuning into today's episode. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter, at JackBushman2, or you could also go and check out my Strictly Blackhawks account, at Talk and Hockey, for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And for any questions at all regarding anything related to the show, feel free to email LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. You can also hit me on any one of my Twitter accounts, or you can call 708-653-0572 to leave a voicemail. So until tomorrow's episode, thanks again for tuning into the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.